All right, so OGL 1.1 was apparently leaked to Gizmodo author Linda Kodega, and Jacob Crow from Crow's Perch and I are here to talk about it. But first, I must stress that these are leaks. Nothing is set in stone, things can change, and these may not even be real. With that all said, if this is real, this is going to be very bad for not just content creators, but also consumers. Hence why we're doing a special bonus podcast this week. So what do we know? And thank you to Reddit user CoolSonicJaker for summarizing the post. Point one, the original OGL, referred to as 1.0 in the leak, would be nullified and labeled as unauthorized, at least according to the attorneys of Gizmodo who reviewed the leak, meaning existing users of the OGL will have to upgrade to 1.1 or stop the sale of their products altogether. Point two, the original leak was implied to be announced on January 4th, with the effective launch date being January 13th, giving creators just seven days to respond and voice their concerns. This obviously didn't happen and we don't know why. It could be that during internal discussion, they realized how badly this would be received and pulled back on it for revisions. Or in my tinfoil hat theory, they were the ones to leak this to Linda in order to gauge community concern. And oh boy, there's been a backlash by the sheer amount of video and coverage, even just a few minutes ago from what we found out, has happened. Finally, there's been a lot of discussion about the royalties in the document. Specifically, and I quote, if your licensed work is crowdfunded or sold via any platform other than Kickstarter, you will pay a 25% royalty on qualifying revenue. And if your licensed work is crowdfunded on Kickstarter, our preferred crowdsourcing platform, you will pay a 20% royalty on qualifying revenue. This only applies after $750,000 in qualifying revenue has been achieved. Qualifying revenue is pretty ambiguous here, and I've not heard many other creators really bring this up because many probably assume it's the same as profit, which it's not. From what I can tell, on Law Insider, qualifying revenue generally means with respect to any monthly period, the aggregate gross revenues resulting from sessions, less A, any shipping and handling charges associated with the sale, B, any sales taxes associated to the sale, C, any rebates associated to the sale, and D, any qualifying revenues, which are attributable to returned products and which have previously been included on qualifying revenues. This effectively means anything outside of sales tax, shipping and handling and returns will count as qualifying revenue. This is the point, and this is why I got Crow on a call with me to, uh, to discuss this. Revenue is not the same as profit and profit margins are usually very tight. Definitely, especially yeah. in this space. Yeah, 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 definitely. The difference between profit and revenue is is revenue is what your most generally it's what your what your initial take home is of the sale. It's not it doesn't have the cost to produce. It doesn't have the cost to run advertisements factored in. It's strictly how much you someone paid to someone paid to buy your product. This is how much you got. Your profit is generally the the the, the cheaper the product is the less money you're making on it in terms of profit. Uh, you know, a $10 item, you may only make 5% profit on it, maybe less. But if you have a more expensive product, you can probably make 10, 15% profit. The problem is that they're wanting revenue. Uh, so if they want 25% of your revenue because you're not selling on Kickstarter and your profit margin is only 10%, then you are now in the red 15% because they want money outside of your profit. So you have to then increase the cost of your product that you're selling just to offset that and increase your margins to fund that. So this all comes around to increasing prices for the consumer. And with that, off to the races, we can go back and forth. Yeah, so there is a lot. There yeah. are a lot yeah. of implications. There's, 
it's it's definitely very interesting. So much so to where apparently D and D creators are no longer just the only ones talking about this. It's nuts. Now, if they in, yeah, within the last thirty minutes, Moist Critical posted a video. We had Asmongold uh, uh, watch uh, Crit Crab's video about this on stream. It is absolutely insane. Yeah, and every time I open up YouTube and and just for any any reason, I'm seeing a new video from some new tabletop creator or or someone someone that doesn't do tabletop at all that just sort of plays games. They're covering it. Yeah, it, it's nuts. And and, and they're, each of these videos are are getting crazy amount of views for the amount of subscribers some of these channels have. Um, obviously more proportionally so for the smaller channels, but even the big ones are are getting insane views. I mean, Crick Crab's video what has over three hundred thousand views and going. Yeah. It's like four days old. It's almost four hundred K, right? Yeah, it's yeah. probably like his fastest growing video ever. It, it, it's completely insane. It's it's wild to me that they thought they could get away with with releasing something. Well, not necessarily releasing because they haven't yet. But they're also not denying it in like the weirdest way possible. Yeah. I think we earlier in the stream kind of went over their one and only response, which is basically, we know you guys have questions, but uh, <laughs> we're not we'll, we'll talk them. about it soon. <laughs> yeah, we're we'll, not going to answer we'll any talk of them. About we're them not later. even going to reassure you. <laughs> it's just like, we're just going to pretend like the everything's fine. You know, situation normal, all fucked up. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, while they're sipping their coffee, their house is burning down. Everything's fine. Yeah, I love that meme. The dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, basically, that's what's happening, though, with, uh, with Wizards of the Coast with this, uh, uh, with, this, uh, with this leak. Yeah. And it seems like the longer this is going on, the more and more confirmation we end up getting. I think something you even mentioned was uh, Kickstarter had some legal stuff they had to go through, which had to basically coincide with this and mm -hmm. because that information gets out to the public basically kind of confirmed that this exists yeah i think um because they take a big split but they take less of a split with kickstarter if i'm not mistaken i think it was like 20 percent. yeah 20 percent. um from uh creators and whatnot but you're still very very high that margin. yeah yeah I, I, we're, we're talking well, about with what you said right because it, it's not like the profit yeah, margin; it's just it's, the, it's uh, revenue. Uh, the, the The difference mm -hmm. is qualifying revenue is a little bit different than regular revenue in that it's also factoring in things like returns and the shipping to the consumer and sales tax, but it doesn't factor mm -hmm. in the uh, all of the, the the costs associated with producing the product. Doesn't uh, factor in all the costs associated with advertising the product. Obviously, that's going to eat into that probably the most the advertising budget. There's probably going to be less sponsorships, less uh, be rough. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, uh, rough on us, rough on them as well. Less less ads on YouTube being played, things like that. Um, so it really, really will eat into that. Even that twenty percent split. I mean, you think about it when you're buying a product on, on Kickstarter. Usually, if you're in the early backers side of it, you get a huge discount. They won't be able to do that anymore. If if if. If, if Wizards is going to be taking 20% of that. I heard there was some information that also got leaked recently, though, that there may have been some creators who had already been reached out beforehand that got better deals. It's possible. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I wouldn't I'm not be surprised. Sure where that lands. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either, to be completely honest. Yeah. With, like, things as low as, like, 16% instead and, like, other things like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's – that's all conjecture uh, as far as we're concerned. But the potential for that, I mean, it would track. I mean, we know we know the biggest uh, consumers of it are not happy. Um, you know, I was telling you yeah. before the stream that Matt Mercer, you know, Critical Role, I saw someone in chat saying Critical Role's cast has been very quiet. Take a look at who they like on Twitter, the tweets that, that they like. Mercer liked a tweet, yeah. and I, I, I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but it said something to the effect of D&D &D is not popular because it's called D&D. &D. 
D&D is not popular because of its rule set. D&D is popular online and in shows because of the OGL. That's in essence what he had tweet what he had liked. It was a tweet from I think some guy named Brian. Uh M Banks, I think. Okay. I, I see I'm looking at the tweet right now. Okay. Yeah, hot take D&D is the number one TTRPG in the world because of the open game license mm-hmm. and the community of designers and players that this has fostered. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So not because it's the better game, not even because it's D&D. Yep. Yeah. And so I he liked it. It's his most recent like as well. <laughs> He's keeping it there for yeah. a reason. <laughs> Yeah, that is not a mistake. <laughs> so even if he hasn't made an official statement, I mean, it's it's all corporate business stuff, right? They're they're gonna take a long time to be able to make these kind of like statements. It's probably gonna even end up on the critical role like um uh Twitter itself when they make their statement as well. So yeah, don't expect don't expect a, a statement basically until Wizards of the Coast makes their own official statement about where the OGL is going to be. Is is what I think. I don't even uh, know if they'll necessarily make a statement. I, I think the only reason they would make a statement, and, and this is um, my my friend has been, my friend is a big fan of Critical Role, has been since I think episode twenty of Campaign One, so for quite a while, mm-hmm. um, and he's been a DM for like twenty years now, so I, I take his work pretty pretty seriously here. He suspects yeah. if if they do anything, if they say anything, it's going to be that they're making their own rule set, and it's going to be headed by their creative head, which is Ivan. I think they can, honestly. They probably could. I don't think like, Matt can do the set, the rule set himself. It's he's doing too much as it is. No, no, no. But their their creative head, the guy who does all their board games, things like that, is is a, a gentleman by the name of Ivan. Could you imagine, honestly, like if Matt Mercer decided to prop up some kind of like independent company to be able to create like their game, how much that would take off? Like I, I feel like it would. I feel oh, like yeah. it would actually like go very well. Especially considering the rest of their endeavors, like the Ikotoa, like uh, 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 board game they had going on. As far as I know, that was a success. It's a fun game. I played it. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a, I haven't tried it yet. It's pretty well designed. Um, not all of their games are well designed, but that one at the very least is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like all it would take is just one of these to work. Like if they made a, a mm-hmm. TTRPG, right? That would be fucking explosive. I, I think that that would be like Pathfinder... I think we discussed this earlier too when we were, when we were texting each other uh, on Discord. Pathfinder was born basically out of when Wizards did this before in the uh, I forget the name of it. It's it wasn't called the OGL Pathfinder OGL because it had a different name. Not Pathfinder. Yeah. What the fuck am I saying? D and D four E four E OGL. Oh yeah, four E was a big exodus. Name. Yes, but there was another reason which I didn't even consider. Yes, the GSL. The fourth edition GSL was apparently pretty fucking controversial because it had a lot of things that even this current OGL, this 1.1 had. The only thing, I, if I recall, that it didn't have is an overwriting of the previous 1.0. And that was part of the reason as to why Pathfinder was able to get so much third-party support because that's basically what helped spearhead it to begin with. I, I really do agree with this fucking, uh, uh, tweet here by Cam Banks that, I mean, that's why Pathfinder was birthed. Honestly, mm-hmm. was that and Pathfinder for, for for almost all of the run of fourth edition Pathfinder was like the game people played if they wanted yeah. an actual tabletop experience. People played for mm-hmm. um for the simplicity and being able to train. It was basically an MMO. Yeah, but they couldn't make third party content. Yeah, not really. So, so people played Pathfinder, but mm-hmm. I, you know, going back to the the critical role uh, bit, I, I you know I just looked at their their social blade stats. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like it reports views on Twitch anymore. But um, before before then, they were getting about a million views on Twitch per month, mm-hmm. and uh, on just like the previous videos. And on YouTube, they're getting ten million views a month. Like that's enough. That's enough for them to have another 
if they wanted to, to have a Pathfinder-like success, especially in the light of OGL 1.1. Definitely. I mean, honestly, I could see them trying to reach to make a product like that. And yeah. not even just them, uh, Cobalt Press, I guess this would be a good way to, to mention this as well, right? Yeah, I was about to segue to that too. <laughs> yeah, like Black if Flag. they don't, yeah, it, it, the Black Flag project. Yeah, if if Critical Role does not build their own system, I would almost put money on them switching over to the Black Flag project. Um, I know that they were originally a Pathfinder game. I can't see them. I don't, I don't think personally, I don't think Pathfinder has a has an appeal on like a, a viewing point of view because it's very, very rigid in some of its rules. Yeah, this is something why I think this isn't going to lead to some kind of like, like, Pathfinder is going to get new people, but there are reasons as to why there are people who play D&D who do not play Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. Pathfinder, at least on the surface, just based on the way the sheets are presented and how the rules are presented, is very rules heavy and very procedure heavy. And some people yeah. don't like that. And that's just going to be a turnoff for people, especially ones who want a, a simpler, more streamlined experience, which in my opinion, 5e doesn't even offer, but it offers the illusion of that for a lot of people because it yeah. makes a lot of those decisions for you. And I honestly think this is why, and I hope this even, that a, an actual simpler game is what ends up spearheading these things, potentially even one that's more independent. Um, but yeah, with, uh, with Cobalt Press. So, problem, I can't actually open up the original uh, uh, post on their own website because their website's down because so many people clicked it. <laughs> <laughs> they, their fucking website is just completely crashed. Um, but I have found a article uh, on Gamerant. Um, so Cobalt Press announced making a new tabletop role-playing game. They, as far as I remember, are no longer going to be doing uh, any more support for uh, fifth edition products. They have, if any of you guys have DM before, you know what Cobalt Press is. They made Tome of Beasts. They made uh, uh, um. It was it was Tome of Beasts. What was the second one that also came out with that? Because there was a, a lot of these different series of Tome uh, of Tomes of Beasts. I think there are three different ones. They're all like monster expansions, basically. And they also made the Midgard campaign setting books, which I didn't really look through and I didn't really like, but some people did. Um, Here, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read it out. Yeah, go ahead. So raising our flag from Cobalt Press. To our fellow kobolds, Kobold Press has always or has been and always will be committed to open gaming and the tabletop community. Our goal is to continue creating the best materials for players and game masters alike. This means Kobold Press will release its current Kickstarter projects as planned, including campaign builder cities and towns, already printed and on its way to its backers this winter. In particular, Deep Magic Volume 2 will remain fully compatible with the 5e rules. We are working with our VTT partners to maintain and support for digital platforms. As we look ahead, it becomes even more important for our actions to represent our values. While we wait to see what the future holds, we are moving forward with clear-eyed work on a new core fantasy tabletop rule set, available, open, and subscription-free for those who love it, codenamed Project Black Flag. All kobolds look forward to the continued evolution of tabletop gaming. We aim to play our part in making the game better for everyone. Rest assured, Kobold Press intends to maintain a strong presence in the tabletop RPG community. We are not going anywhere. To receive future updates and all that, blah, 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 you can click on a form if you want to get into their email list about this. And they have a Discord link as well. Yeah, wow. So they're really going all in with this. They're making a whole new damn thing. I, I really like to see what they end up coming up with. I've really liked the kind of uh, products they've been working on and they've been one of the bigger um uh, fifth edition third-party creators in the space them alongside like of course critical role mm -hmm. they've sponsored critical role so they, really? they've already got a yeah they have um so 
and I, I believe Critical Role's also worked with them on something. I don't recall exactly, but they do have a partnership with Critical Role. Uh, and I, I've never personally used anything from Cobalt Press, but yeah. I've heard nothing bad about it. I know people are really stoked about this because of the content that they've made in the past. Mm. It certainly opens up the doors. If they can make something that, this is very much like a Paizo situation with Pathfinder, right? Oh, yeah. Paizo before was was a big creator of D&D content. They were, as you said, they were ticked off about uh, the fourth edition uh, license that came along with it and went off and made Pathfinder first edition, eventually second edition and Starfinder. This feels like that, but with a company that is more, I want to say they're, they're going in with the fourth or foresight that the people that are going to be impacted by this are the streamers and right. the streamers need something that's easy enough for the average viewer to pick up. So it's not going to be some uh, Cthulian mess to get into. I, I love Pathfinder, especially in the character creation a aspect of it. But the problem with it is you need to have like a PhD in, in in like bestiology to understand anything in it. It takes a long time. Yeah. You basically need Pathbuilder as a player as well in order to really like. Yeah. Like if you if you are the kind of player, because let's be honest, most Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition players do not really look at the rules. They look through mm -hmm. the character options. They look through, they pick uh, what's a class that kind of appeals to me, uh, usually on an aesthetic sense, right? They'll look at a paladin because they like paladins. Maybe they played WoW before, right? They'll look at a ranger. It's like, oh, I remember Aragorn. I remember Legolas. I want to play a ranger. Mm -hmm. That's usually the reason why they pick a class. And, it's easy to do. You can just yeah, hop right exactly. into it. And that's the nice thing about um, the characters having less options in that sense. I know there's a lot of people, Pathfinder players especially, who will talk shit about that kind of thing. But there's a reason why it's effective. It's effective yeah. because then you don't have to make the choice. You already made the choice. You know, you picked a ranger. This is how a ranger plays. You only really get this other secondary choice when you get to your subclass. But that's later on down the line. And even in the new D&D 1... They made it so everybody gets their subclass at level three now. So now you don't even have to make that big investment until later <laughs> on, you know? Yeah. And it's like I, I was playing in a uh, with Foxy Bard. I was playing in a Pathfinder campaign about a year ago hmm. and I wanted to play a monk. And I was like, okay, they have their own new version. Of, they have their own version of D&D &D Beyond uh, for, for character building. So I went yeah. through it and I'm like, I've read the rules. I don't understand any of this. So I had to pull up like, I think it was like a two or three hour video on monk character hmm. creation just for Pathfinder second edition, just to understand what I was doing. And I still f***ed it up in the end. So it's, it's really, <laughs> it's, I, I love how complex it can get. Yeah. There are noob traps, but there are noob traps in that fucking game. Yeah, That was my first time playing Pathfinder. It was a terrible character creation experience. And that was, uh, that was, that was after all of the like user friendliness was added to it. That was, you know, back a few years ago, you had to do this all on a character sheet. There was no automated means of doing it. I cannot ma imagine right. how big of a hair pull that would be to, to do as a new player. You'd, you'd have to have someone to show you. I would say this right now. I wouldn't do yeah. it. I would not fucking, I would not fucking do it. <laughs> it would, it would be one of those things that would just prohibit me from being able to play the game, if I'm being completely honest. And that sucks because when I did get to play it with like uh, Path Builder and whatnot in 2E, I think that's something I really liked about Second Edition. There's still a lot. And honestly, there's some of these options really do feel like bloat. And more options isn't always necessarily a good thing. You know, look at uh, fucking 3.5, which is just filled with a bunch of like supplements on top of supplements. There's a reason why movements like things like the OSR and the NSR started by essentially like they they hate 3.5. And that's part of the reason why they went with simpler rules for a lot of these things in retro clones and even ones that branch off uh, from that. Yeah, it, it's like, yeah, there's a reason why that ended up happening as a counterculture to what was going on in Dungeons and Dragons at the time, you know, and 
part of that is the simplicity of it, it because you want to be able to present these options into your players in game mm -hmm. um so that then they're not thinking about all this shit and thinking about meta and thinking about all the shit that you do in like video games you know so i wanted to couple uh cover a couple topics i know you wanted to cover a couple topics Dan Helsing says uh, his ultimate concern is digital platforms from uh, for, TR for TTRPGs. Uh, so are you concerned that digital platforms will have to essentially be homogenized into uh, 1D&D? I mean, that is something that's happening right now, right? Like, um, uh, what's it called? Mm -hmm. To where the only platform for, TT uh, for VTT play in, let's just call it 6C because that's what it is, is going to be yeah. uh, through their... Uh, virtual platform. Yeah, and it sounds like they're also getting rid of the idea of additions, and it's just going to be one perpetual game that's updated and, and changed uh, over time. I'm not entirely sure how well that's going to work, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I, every time I see a company try to do something like that, I mean, this fucking happens to... This happened to Overwatch. <laughs> this I, happened it, to fucking yeah. Warzone. I mean, there's a chance it can create weird forks to the game where, like, you release naval combat, Everyone hates it, except for this very small segment of your community. They love it. But if you want to play them, you have to play like uh, one D&D uh, naval edition or whatever, like whatever they want to yeah. call it. And it's a very specific fork of it that that's only where it exists because they've since removed naval combat because nobody yes. liked it. So there's you, you risk creating a lot of various forks. And that's what they try to sell us on, too. Like they're saying. What if we wanted to introduce something that was very potentially controversial? It, this will let us do that and then take it back if we decide it doesn't yeah. work. But what if there are people that liked it? It's 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 gonna it's there gonna are be some heavy. things <laughs> that will be cult hits. This already happened in previous editions to where there's this splat book, not a lot of people liked, but then there's a you know contingent of people that swear by it. That could effectively not just be removed, but obliterated. Mm -hmm. Dan, uh, Dan clarified, he was wanting to know what is the impact on things like Foundry and mm. Roll20? I honestly think it, it won't be much of anything. I, I think Roll20, I know, mentions a lot of D&D specific rules. I think they would remove them. Mm. If they had to pay a roy royalty on them, they would probably just remove those rules and it would be a worse experience for the player and the DM. But that's, I think that's the, ex the extent of it. Probably the same for Foundry as well. Mm. Um, Foundry, I know, has a lot of built-in stuff for Pathfinder. Pathfinder doesn't care. Mm. But if D&D cared, they would probably strip out all the D&D stuff and say, okay, you're the DM, make it yourself. And I guarantee there'll be like a bootleg community that has all the rules written up that you can just import into your own foundry. And there'll be some discord server floating around that you can join for that. Yeah, but definitely. they would just, they would just remove, re remove it from the game altogether. And you as a player or DM would have to come up with it. Yeah. It seems like it wouldn't be ideal for something like that to happen. I, I, I wonder, um, I, I this is the main thing that like concerned me with like the, the, the whole like D&D owning basically all VGT surrounding D&D is because we already have so many of these like products and different uh, uh, companies already doing their own thing with third party uh, uh, support for, for d and I, I wonder like, is this just going to take them out? <laughs> like is, is this just going to make it so inconvenient that they're just going to be fucking destroyed? Probably. Probably. I, I have to imagine, I have to imagine, uh, I want to say Blizzard because they've been doing the same right. for a while now. Up, uh, Wizards, 40K Wizards. as well. Uh, that apparently yeah. 8th edition was supposed to be just like how 1D&D is proposing itself to be right now. And that was a lie. <laughs> Wizards has seen Roll20, specifically Roll20. That's mm. the big one. I don't think they care too much about Foundry. They've seen Roll... They also care a lot about Kickstarter, right? Well, Kickstarter in a sense of selling a game. Roll20 in the sense of playing yeah. a game online. 
I think that they've seen right, that. Right. Seen, hey, they have a digital marketplace for DMs to build their own, you know, boards and and pay for for stuff to put on there. And it's a place that almost everyone, especially during the COVID era, wanted to play games on. Mm-hmm. What if we just made our own version of that? Well, we've got this competitor called Roll Twenty already. They already exist. Fuck them in particular. We're gonna make a little clause in the OGL <laughs> about this. Maybe they couldn't buy them out, huh? I don't. I, Do you I think mean, that might be the case? The problem with buying a company because we're in speculation. Yeah, I don't think Roll Twenty. You know, clearly in speculation. I don't think Roll Twenty is public, mm. so it's possible that they contacted them in private to buy them out. I have to imagine Roll Twenty is not a huge company. They're big, yes, but mm. I have to imagine for Wizards, it's nothing. They probably could have bought them if the option was on the table. They it probably just was not on the table, so they have to build their own, or they think that they could do better. Because D&D Beyond, for its faults, is a very good piece of software. I do not like the layout of Roll20 at all. I think it could be done a lot better. I agree, honestly. After using Roll20 for a couple of years, it, it is a, a very clumsy layout. And it seems like it's designed for D&D. But then when you run it into other game systems, there's weird little kinks that you kind of have to work out. Usually using like macro stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it's very clunky. It doesn't, if you want to do any kind of like animated uh, backgrounds it doesn't work too well mm-hmm. and they charge for absolutely everything if you want to build a table like if you want to if you want to have any kind yeah. of like artwork or anything like that everything costs money everything costs a lot comparatively for what you're getting i, I think it could be done better and i think wizards saw that and want to build their own version into DD beyond i i can't imagine they wouldn't want to build it into DD beyond your character sheet is already there everything is already there to support a tabletop game why not make yeah. an online version of that for people? It, it, it makes sense as to why they want to go for that, too, if I'm being honest. There's definitely, a, like we were even talking about when we were suggesting ideas of like what the ideal tabletop would be trying to do. I mean, they they kind of are going in that direction, but more along the lines of like focusing on the digital side. But like, I, I, I do wonder when it comes to them taking over this stuff, like how much of how much of this is actually going to be different, you know? Like, yeah, they're going to say, we're going to try to do this thing, but better. But if it's just, um, if it's just the same thing, except they get all the money, then like how much of a difference is this actually going to be? And how much is this actually going to support people who are playing this game? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's everything's up in the air. Hard to say. It'd be very interesting to see mm-hmm. when, when the official OGL launches, um, the, the 1.1 or whatever they're going to call it. I think it's the 15th, right? We don't, I mean, it was originally planned to be the fourth. Really? When it, was, when it was supposed to be revealed on the 4th and go live on the 13th. That was the original plan. They did not fall through, or that really fell through. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it hasn't been the 13th yet. They might <laughs> they might go for it. Might just, <laughs> might just drop it. You've all seen it anyways, but yeah. I, I, I can't imagine. I, I think that if anything, if they keep it as it is, it's probably going to get renamed from OGL 1.1 to something else. Because right now, if you search OGL 1.1, yeah. it's going to be terrible for SEO. And it's going to redirect people to all these negative articles instead of the OGL. Like the Gizmodo article and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but back to the, the that topic, I mean, it doesn't have to offer, like, here's the thing it offers. Your character sheet on D&D mm-hmm. Beyond is already there and it's already hooked into the systems. Join a, and you, you're already in a campaign. When you build a character, you associate it to a campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're working on something equivalent to Roll20, you'd associate the character to a campaign. So it's already there. DM opens up table for this campaign. Your character's already there. And it's it's already got everything there for you. So from a user standpoint, it doesn't have to be better than Roll20. It can be identical with that one edition, and it's already a better platform for anyone using D&D 5th edition. Mm. 
just my thoughts on it. Uh, but moving on to the next question, Mordecai asks, uh, how will this affect RPG horror story narrators? We we brought that up mm-hmm. briefly earlier. We don't know. As far as I'm concerned, just based on my own rudimentary knowledge on the topic, most of what we talk about isn't even really D&D focused. It's like TTRPG focused, and it's also Reddit stories. So I guess we fall under the same kind of legality anything else would fall under when it comes to just covering what people say on Reddit, which is not much, honestly. I mean, yeah. like MK hasn't been banned for <laughs> for covering uh, uh, f***ing r slash nice guys or whatever. So the day that happens, the day yeah. we're um, <laughs> I would say like right now, the way it appears to be worded, we are making money off of D&D content sometimes. Mm. So the way the OGL is worded, and again, it's 9,000 words, it's 10, it's 10 times the size of the existing OGL. Oh yeah, it's a big book. The way that the leak has it worded is if you are making money off of D&D, which we technically are, you must report revenue to wizards. That's how it's worded. Mm. Now, there's no wording on us selling a product that is making money off of D&D, so we wouldn't owe royalties or anything like that. It's possible mm-hmm. that they may scrutinize merch sales. I think merch sales might be the thing that's yeah. more impacted. I doubt they'd go after yeah, us. Yeah, I, I think honest. like if you look at Den of the Drake's merch store, for instance, or Crick Crab's merch store, what they're putting up there might be scrutinized. Den of the Drake, he's a dragon. Dungeons and Dragons, they may just say, close enough. You cover D&D content. This is D&D style merch. So give us royalties. How much do you think falls under under the fan content clause? Mr. Fahrenheit just brought that up because there's a different contract for fan uh, content, which is more uh, loose when it comes to the interpretation. Was that, was that leaked? Do you think we'd fall under was that? Was that leaked on, on, in one point uh, as well? I believe so. I remember going through uh, a pretty extensive uh, 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 thing on this. I remember them saying that there's like a new fan contract. And I have it's not basically, seen Yeah, but it's, it's pretty much the old one. Like that one didn't really get changed, if I'm not mistaken. If it's the old one, then we're not impacted at all. If it's yeah, if it if anything, if it's implied, how to phrase this? If what happens mm. is what is implied, then anyone making content off of D and D under any circumstance would have to report their revenue at the very least to wizards. Mm. It, we would need to see the full thing to see if it's breaks out. If you are making videos on the subject matter. That should be covered entirely differently. And there really should be a clause for that somewhere else, because that's an entirely different business than the rest of what the OGL leak is about, which is making your own third-party modules and selling it, or making D&D tie-in miniatures, selling those, things like that. Yeah, or writing a book about D&D, right? Yeah, anything like that. That, like physical merchandise sales that are directly tied to D&D, that appears to be the big focus of the OGL. Mm. There doesn't appear to be anything on YouTubers or video like content creators, but given Stranger Things, I can't see why they wouldn't want to cover that somewhere. That's true. You know, I didn't think of that with with Stranger Things. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure because they also mentioned something about like exclusive contracts deviating from these things. I think Stranger Things might actually fall under something like that instead. No, mm-hmm. especially like with the new D and D movie that's going to be coming be. out yeah. soon as well. Yeah, because it, it's 100 like, yeah. possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I also I, I doubt they can enforce that. Like. People, what are you going to do? Stop people from covering D&D? Like, what's going to end up happening to those channels? Like, I, I feel like that's, even if it's possible, I don't think it's, un- it's I think it's unenforceable from being completely honest. I think it depends on the context. Um, hmm. Like, if you make copywritten content, the focus of something you're doing, hmm. 
that like that's a different situation than having it mentioned in passing. If you have if you're if you're shooting something, right? And it's just like some people talking and in the background people are playing DD. And then they're like, oh, what are they playing? Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that's cool. That's nerdy of them. Back to the conversation. That's being that's it being mentioned in passing. That I think falls under a completely different type of um like pop culture reference law. I yeah. don't know. I'm sure there's one that exists for stuff like that. It's entirely separate versus a, a direct mention. And and I don't know, like it, what was it in, in Marvel's Eternals, right? The movie they mention mm-hmm. Clark Kent and Batman in the movie. It's a Marvel movie. I, I don't know if they had to pay a license for that or if it's just publicly allowed because that's, you know, just a pop culture reference. There's there's a lot of potential legality on that. It, once the once the full OGL launches, it'll be really interesting to see actual lawyers pick it apart. You know, uh, speaking of lawyers, there was a recent tweet that it freaked me the f*** out that I thought was really interesting. Um, Legal Eagle reached out to Matt Coville because he wants to cover this. <laughs> that that'll, that'll be, be a fun wild. watch. I, fun I'm watch. excited for that. that. That seems really interesting. Um, uh... An important hero says uh, it is enforceable. All Watsi needs to do is tell a YouTube uh, creator that they're not complying with the license, and the YouTube uh, does what it uh, does with all copyright complaints. That is actually a valid concern, especially because um, YouTube is, yeah, especially when it comes to copyright stuff. I literally had uh, a video get flagged with Den of the Drake when we were covering the uh, uh, what was that show? The Button. I didn't even get copyright struck by the button like cut.com crew i got copyright struck by a fucking video that was another guy watching it and they found i guess our stream and then they claimed that video i was wow. like what the fuck? and i i appealed it a, a week ago that that upset me so much hopefully that doesn't happen like i i've had one copyright strike happen to my account um yeah. for a song for a song i legally own the rights to I own the rights to the song. Really? And they're like, we own the rights to that song. I'm like, no, I own the rights to that song. Here's my license that says I do. And, and it's like, this is literally, I literally wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so I, song. I, I appealed it. It went back to mm-hmm. them. They have 30 days to respond. My video, they did not respond to it. They did not respond to my message. They let that 30 days lapse. And then the video went back into monetization. What Are happens? Yeah. What happens is you lose the monetization you would have mm-hmm. made during that entire period. It does not accru- it does not accumulate and you don't get that money at the very end. Any money that that video is making while you have this strike and, and, and this, this response that you've done happening, pending, it will not make any money during that period. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a complete funny. bullshit system. It sucks because it says that's what it does and then it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. It, it says, yeah, the revenue will be, it'll be halted for now, but it's like, no, it is a full on halt. Nobody gets yeah. anything. I did not get you any know? of it. I, my, my revenue mm-hmm. for that month was like 30% less than what it normally is. So uh, Chris, Chris Bingham mentioned uh, or brought up, uh, you can always scrub the D&D references and you're usually okay. And I think that that will be what happens if Wizards really cracks down on YouTubers, mm. where instead of saying DM, you're going to say GM. Instead of saying fifth edition, you're just going to say something else. <laughs> you're mm. going to scrub that entire sentence. You something just I saw, mention what they're playing. Something I saw spiteful indie people already do when they were doing game jams based on this kind of thing already, when they were making fun of fifth edition. They would call it the dragon game or elf games. Cause I mean, <laughs> dragons are ubiquitous. Yeah. Elves are ubiquitous. So just, yeah, they're, they're playing, they're playing crypts and dragons fifth edition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the tiny Tina thing, right? Uh, bunkers and badasses. You just got to make up your own fucking yeah. name or something. I saw some other indie creators do, uh, cause this is another thing, um, that questing beast talked about. You don't necessarily need the OGL to post, uh, fifth edition adjacent content. 
because um, from what I had read about, when it comes to game mechanics, you can't actually copyright them. This is something that EA ran into, if I'm not mistaken, with Shadow of Mordor, because you can't actually copyright those game mechanics. You can copyright some of the language used in its entirety, but you can just use synonyms and other things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like um, I think um, I I, th- I think that's really interesting because then in that case, like um, I'm drawing a blank here. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I was on something. I was fucking on something, and then I just did not have enough coffee. My goodness. But yeah, I think um, I think it's interesting, and I uh, yeah, right, 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 back on OGL stuff. You don't necessarily need the OGL. Um. You can even allude to D and D in other ways. One of the my one thing I saw was uh, just saying fifth edition, and D and D doesn't have fifth edition coined. Fifth edition could be anything. No. There's fifth edition Call of Cthulhu. You know, if you just put a little symbol that just says five E compatible, you don't need to say D and D. And they were able to essentially not use the OGL to post D and D compatible content in indie spaces. Man, there was there was a, a small YouTuber I saw that brought up this same topic in in a live stream he did today and i can't remember his name but what he brought up is he was he was producing content for fifth edition and he he was like as it is right now Mm. you have to if you want to produce like fan-made content for fifth edition there's a lot of things like if you want to make a spell you have to label it the same way is it somatic is it um you know verbal is it what is the casting distance what's the casting time how many turns does that mm. take you have to label these things very similarly to D because if you don't and you don't identically use the same wording that they use elsewhere within the rules of D, it makes it a little bit harder to decipher how you want this spell or ability or whatever to function because there's pre-existing rules and discussion for those other spells that should dictate how your content works And they may argue legally that while you're using the same exact phrasing as us, this should be construed as a spell that you've made specifically for D&D 5th edition. So his workaround for that would be he would have to intentionally change the naming of a lot of things in the layout of how you show your spell so that it differentiates it from 5th edition. The problem is if you do that then there's you're not going to have those prior notions of how spells worked in fifth edition to apply here because you have to use different phrasing to not get hit legally for that. So mm. it, it opens up a, a lot of um like confusion for the consumer, confusion, right? Yeah, confusion for the consumer. It, really, the OGL, like every workaround that your actual creators would have to do to get around these issues, whether it be dealing with the price hike, which would they would have to increase the prices of their products. Um, if they wanted mm-hmm. to continue posting without paying the royalties, they would have to do weird phrasing. Like it's going to act like, even though people think that it's only going to impact the creators of the content, it is 100% mm-hmm. going to impact the consumers as well. It's just not apparent where or how that's going to happen. But if OGL 1.1 hits, mark my words, the consumer will be impacted one way or another, either financially or with confusion. Um, due to the obfuscation of how the how the abilities or, or whatever content you're using is written in order to get around the legality issues of of D. Yeah, the, I, I, fe- I do fear that um, worst case scenarios, the popularity of TTRPGs plummets in general because of attempts to find these workarounds and not like being able to present it with the rules as they are, you know, written, not yeah. I guess written. Yeah, right. 
and like by doing so, yeah, you would just create it so that only ever only the people that really understand the in joke, I guess, kind of language you're using, would be able to understand what you're really trying to say, you know. And uh, I I think um I think there could be ways to try to work around that, but it it does run that risk of just confusing everybody who doesn't know what's going on, you know. Uh, someone was asking the Phoenix 743, uh, does this mean they charge reviewers of their content as well? Or even if a store advertises, they sell D&D stuff or do they uh, have to pay on that advertisement? Very broad, risky. It seems like it's only the creators of, of whatever is being sold. And it seems like it's mm. it's predominantly targeting things that are sold. There, there appears to be some clauses as it relates to video creation. We do not know anything else about that at the moment, but what mm. has been leaked is all been about sales. And if a product sells $750,000 in revenue or more, which is not a lot, that is not a lot in revenue. Like there are people that literally have $100,000 plus revenue a month sales doing drop shipping or whatever in Shopify that are their take home is like a couple thousand dollars in terms of profit. It's not, it's like revenue is totally different than profit, but it appears to only be really impacting the the sale of, of, of physical products at the moment or digital like books on like DMs Guild and things like that. One of the, one of the few W's in a sea of L's uh, in this document is that it does seem to also stop like NFT sales and things like that based on uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And that's one of the few things I actually do like about this. <laughs> I, I feel like they put it in there as like a pat on the back. Yeah, guys, we're, we're going to stop yeah, the NFT does. sales after NFTs have already died. Yeah, they're basically Nobody dead. gives it, a it, shit. <laughs> they're basically dead, but it was just funny to see. At this point, I think we're beyond the point of questioning whether or not, like, uh, it, it's not so much like, are these leaks? But like, when are they going to say... <laughs> when are they going to talk about it? Because there's there's far too many implications at this point, especially with the Kickstarter stuff, to be able to deny it as like a very real, um, as a very real threat to third party creators. And I think their concerns are incredibly legitimate. And I don't think in our space in particular. Um, I don't think really we have much to worry about, but I do worry about the health of um, of third-party content in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, ideally, I want people to look at other games. I want people to, you know, be TTRPG fans, not just D&D fans, but at the end of the day, I can only lead you to water. I can't force you to drink it. Um, and you have fun with what you have fun with, and I'm not going to, like, I'm going to talk about my but I'm not going to shove it down your throat, you know? And to, to bookend it from my perspective as well, I, I think, mm. I don't think it's going to come the 13th. I think they're going to significantly rewrite it based on community backlash. And they're probably going to have their lawyers look over it and like triple check it and make sure there's nothing legally an issue in there but i i think based on the sheer amount of community response to it they're going to have to rewrite it if they go forth with it it's going to be a, another exodus a law yeah. pathfinder it's going to be an exodus of that scale or bigger definitely i honestly probably bigger at this point right like it's a, it's the a bigger TCRPG scene yeah. community yeah it's a massive scene nowadays especially in comparison to where it was during the 3.5 to 4E days. And that was already like with D&D popularity not being at its greatest height, if I'm being completely honest. So yeah, like I'm, I, 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 I want to see where this goes. And I also want to be able to like, I guess, like help people kind of see what, what do they want out of this game? You know, 
What's yeah. the future this game could be looking? Because at the end of the day, the game is you. As we've seen what happened when the GLSO got posted and third-party creators weren't posting content for 4th edition, the game is obviously you. It doesn't matter what fucking rules wizards post at the end of the day mm-hmm. because they're just the foundation and you build on top of it. The health of the OGL, um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, the the only thing like you don't have to abide by what it says you can be you can skirt around language you could do all those other things you could even use some of that uh some of their language to make your own products you you like indie creators for years never really had to use the OGL the only reason why this is a concern uh to them even is there's some pretty far reaching implications that seem to extend out from 5th edition to just anyone using adjacent like content it seems any consumer any consumer of the product is is it's a threat to any of them either increased prices or reduced availability of the content and even though there are things i have issues with when it comes to D &D, and even though this kind of benefits i guess my side whatever the that means um of the of the aisle here if D D tanks and there's not a sufficient push from people to go to these other games and they they just hold their ground or they just bounce off ttrpgs that's a net loss for everybody i i think because if those people i mean if 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 those people just leave and the popularity of the hobby tanks then everybody loses and it's it's hard to kind of like Mm. it's hard to think about it like oh i'm just watching with eating my popcorn because it's going to end up affecting you too you know yeah and that'd be a fucking shame because i i want to see the hobby thrive it's in the best shape it's been in a while even though dnd takes up most of the market you know like indie scenes are popping the fuck off uh third-party publishers for D&D are popping the fuck off. I, I want to see them succeed. I want to see both of them succeed, even if I don't necessarily want to see Wizards succeed. And um, and that's kind of being attacked right now, and that kind of sucks. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. All right, thank you for tuning in for this very special podcast where we discussed the OGL and its possible implications, not only for the content that we're producing, but uh, the scene as a whole. If you're interested in checking out Jacob Crow and his Crow's Perch channel, the link to his channel will be in the description of this podcast, along with a link to the full VOD of this discussion. What you heard here was only about 45 minutes of it, but the total discussion I think was somewhere around three to three and a half hours. And we really begin to theorycraft in the full VOD what we think the Black Flag project could do in order to differentiate itself from D&D and, and, and like projects and capture a modern audience. So that alone is entirely fascinating, but there's also a few other things we cover along with it that weren't necessarily relevant to the OGL, but are still relatively interesting topics. The only other thing I'll cover that we did not cover in the podcast is some news that dropped pretty much right after we were done recording, which is where we're seeing some games that are based on the OGL license pulling themselves from purchase because the authors are afraid of what's coming. The big one we saw is Whitehack, which is an OSR. You cannot purchase Whitehack at the moment, at all. And the author of it commented, currently, you can't buy copies, I'm afraid, as I've decided to stop all distribution of Whitehack for a while. The whole situation seems to have the potential to escalate fast, and I want to think it through at my own pace. I'm sorry for the inconvenience, and promise you'll be the first to know when I'm done. And by you, he's referring to the Whitehack subreddit. So... This is the worst thing that could happen is where we're losing content over speculation at this point as well. So yeah, the situation is a little dire and it's why I ultimately decided to record this podcast despite it being entirely against the type of content I want to cover because it's adjacent to it. It's relating to the biggest game in the tabletop space and it is frankly too big to not have discussed. 
So while this was not a horror story in the traditional sense, it most certainly is a horror story. But unfortunately, in the real life, this game could go away type of sense. If you enjoy that kind of content and you want to hear more of it, be sure to follow this podcast on whichever platform you prefer to use. It is available on pretty much all of them. Likewise, if you want to hear more long-form stories, be sure to subscribe to me on YouTube at Critical Kunick. I haven't put out videos in a while, but I promise you I am coming back. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.